some uh, pre-diabetics and diabetics raise their sugar if they take the underground white starch, like white potato versus sweet potato, right. jam versus, uh, you know, we call it turkey. That is one question. And the second is, some people have said that turmeric, coriander, and some of these spices, which are common in Indian food, uh, uh, prevent the absorption of iodine. Can you reflect on that? If any of the spices interfere with the absorption of essential elements? Yeah, so I, I can tell you, when I don't know something, I'm going to be honest right away and tell you, I don't know the answer to the second question. That's not my area of expertise. But I can help you a little bit with the first question and tell you that all eating raises your blood sugar because that's what the whole purpose of eating is. But if you're diabetic and you're worried, there is the most wonderful book in the world, New York Times bestselling called Mastering Diabetes because the two co-founders, Dr. Robbie Barbero and Dr. Cyrus Kabata are both diabetics and they eat, well, and now Robbie is eating potatoes too. He ate mostly fruit before, but Cyrus eats potatoes too. And they teach people how to incorporate these foods when they're diabetic. So you don't like automatically just start and eat a bunch of white potatoes. There are other starches that are probably a bit more favorable for people that are still struggling with diabetes, like legumes, like beans. Uh, these have what's called a resistance starch and a second meal effect, but also you're going to want to, even when you eat potatoes, even when I eat potatoes, I don't just eat a potato. I'm eating with large amounts of other food like vegetables. So beans and greens could be very, very favorable for your blood sugar. And as you, as your numbers continue to improve, because it's really the fat that causes the diabetes, not the sugar, it's the oil and the high fat part of the diet. But as you continue to improve and as you lower, as your insulin resistance, as that gets better, you can learn to incorporate more of these foods more often, but it's not something that you can do as easily right away. And that's why working with a coach like mastering diabetes can be so helpful because they walk you through it step by step because they, they are diabetics and they really, they really can help you eat this diet and, and, and reverse your diabetes, assuming it's type two, not if it's type one. See, my question really is all starches are not the same. There are some starches you can eat at lib and mm -hmm. some starches, like you said, potato, you have to restrict and not just eat the whole potato as your meal, but a part of some other big uh, combination with vegetables. So can you separate out which starches you should watch for and which starches you can take at lib? It's going to be different for everyone. It really is. I know some people that can eat all the potatoes they want, but they can't with rice. That's you're, you're going to have to know yourself. It, you know, most people do very well with legumes, beans. Most people don't have a problem with those or even overeating those. And also with the lower calorically dilute winter squashes, kabocha squash, acorn squash. Those are the two that I've seen that most people don't struggle with. Some people say they overeat on potatoes or, or sweet potatoes or grains. Also, when it comes to grains, the, the ones... Uh, instead of just always thinking about rice, you know, think about things like some of the ancient grains like amaranth and teff and millet that people aren't eating as much of. Those might have a more favorable effect on your blood sugar. But that's the thing. I can't give you a blanket answer because every every person's going to be different. Every diabetic's blood sugar response is going to be different. That's why we test these things carefully in small amounts and preferably work with somebody that's really knowledgeable in this area so that you can learn to eat these foods in the amounts that you'd love to eat them. Thank you. That makes sense. You're so welcome. All right. Thank you, Shashi. Next, we have G. Collins. G. Collins, you're unmuted. Hi. Hi, Chef AJ. Um, this is Gretchen, <laughs> uh, fan and follower. I feel like I get thinner just watching you. Uh, 
<laughs> I, I had heard you say a number of times uh, about things putting like salsa on potatoes instead of, uh, that is oil and sugar and fat, salt-free salsa. Uh, and, and it seems between you and the forks, people eat a lot. I mean, an awful lot of nightshade vegetables. You love to put peppers and everything. Have any of the doctors weighed in on um, any possible uh, problems with having a lot of nightshades? Well, I think it's only a problem if you're sensitive to them. And so I, I really don't like it when somebody goes to a practitioner that does no testing and just says, don't eat nightshades. How can they know? So one of the things a person can do, to, and nightshades, by the way, are, are things like potatoes, um, the, the, the tobacco is a nightshade, um, you know, the, 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 the tomatoes and which would like, I don't know how you live about tomatoes and potatoes. Cause there's no barbecue sauce there, right there. There's a, a eggplant, I think is a nightshade, yeah. isn't it? And, and, uh, and bell pepper, if I'm not mistaken. So, but the main thing, uh, sweet potatoes are not nightshades, but regular potatoes are. And so one of the things a person can do to see if they are sensitive to a particular food, because even if you were to undergo extensive allergy testing, which I actually did because I do have multiple food allergies, including dairy, soy, and black pepper. I went to like the best immunologist at UCLA. And he always said to every patient, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. And what he meant by that is my tests, you are a more reliable predictor than my tests. And so he would have people do a food challenge or, a, or like an elimination diet. And there's one on, outline for free on Dr. McDougall's website where you can do this elimination diet and then you slowly and carefully add these foods back. You can't really know you're sensitive to nightshades until you stop eating them and then you add them back. And the thing is, is why would you tell somebody to avoid all nightshades if, for example, maybe they're only sensitive to one? You're cutting out enormously delicious and healthy food groups. So the best thing I can suggest is to do it to do a challenge, a food challenge or elimination diet, because nightshades are like, how do you, I would not be able to live without a tomato and potato because then I couldn't have French fries with barbecue sauce. So don't don't give up on foods until you know they're really problematic for you. Okay. I mean, I've heard that, you know, they can exacerbate arthritis and yes, they can, but, but, but not everybody is sensitive. You absolutely are right. So that's why you stop eating them and then you introduce them one by one. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Okay. Thanks Gretchen for that. And thank you. Uh, let's see. We have next, we have honor, honor, you are unmuted. I believe I am. Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Okay. As a beginner to all of this, you've taught me an enormous amount that I've not heard before, especially going left of the red line. Can I use that quote on a T-shirt? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I used to have these. I don't have them anymore, but I used to have these bracelets. Yeah. Made I'm going to have a T-shirt made this week then. Yeah, but it's on, <laughs> then, it's on the back of my book, too. And, and I'm sure I have a PDF you could have for free of the calorie density chart. Yep. Oh, thank you. And I had one question. Living in Japan with a Japanese husband, we don't see a lot of potatoes in this house. How does rice compare in balance to potatoes uh, filling you up and not going too far uh, awry with the calories? Wow. You know, that's funny. You don't see potatoes in Japan, but what about sweet potatoes? Because I could have sworn. Kabocha and lots of pota sweet potatoes. Yeah. Okay. Because those are really, really satiating and delicious. Because, you know, it's interesting because the okay.
Okinawans who are a blue zone and one of the longest lived people, they get like something like 69 to 72% of their Mm. calories from those delicious Japanese sweet potatoes. So so rice is, okay. So the thing that's really cool about rice is the same thing that's really cool about beans in that it's cooked with water. Remember what I said at the beginning, how Dr. Rolls discovered that when water's in the food, like in soup, Mm. you're going to have enhanced satiety. Now, I don't know anybody that really eats raw rice without cooking or raw beans without cooking, but there are grains that people do. So for example, let's just take oats for example, because all whole grains have a caloric density of about 500 calories per pound. A lot of people take oats and instead of cooking them in water, they just splash their almond milk on them and eat them dry, which is perfectly healthy. But now the caloric density is like, it's like 1800 calories a pound. But when they cook those oats in water, like is a one to two ratio is usually done. Now the caloric density is lower to 375. And it's the same thing with rice and beans. By cooking it, it absorbs so much water, it lowers the caloric density. So rice is a little bit higher in caloric density than potatoes and sweet potatoes, 365 versus 500. But it's still a very healthy food. Now, I personally love white rice. It's like my favorite guilty pleasure. But I do try to eat brown rice because it's a little bit healthier. It's got a little bit more fiber. So probably the, not probably the glycemic load is going to be a little bit less, but the idea is, is eat it with a ton of vegetables and don't use the oil. I'm telling you, take the oil out. And that's going to make the biggest difference because that is the most calorically dense food in most people's diet is, is oil. If you remove oil, you, you, you're already doing something that's going to lower the caloric density and removing oil, adding vegetables and, and not skimping on starch. So, I mean, I was in Japan is one of the countries that I worked in when I was a comedian and they, I mean, they, they were just starting, this was in 1994 and they were just starting to get a little bit heavy there. They still were doing good. And what I really liked about Japan is that, um, They had desserts in Japan, but the desserts were influenced by the French and dessert in Japan wasn't like when you go to the cheesecake factory and get this like thing that's like, you know, 5,000 calories. It was like small and it wasn't as sweet all the, all the places in Japan. So they, they do a lot of things, right. But, you know, eat like a traditional Japanese person and you're going to have the, you know, the frame of a traditional Japanese person. Better than going to Lawson's and getting an oversized shoe cream or cream puff with custard. Absolutely. But I mean, the traditional Japanese diet, the the, the Asians, their traditional diet. Yes. And they even included some seafood and maybe some meat. But, you know, when you think about it, I don't know what it's like right now. It's been almost 20 years since I've been there. The meat was the garnish. The fish was Mm. the garnish. It was basically rice and vegetables. It was steamed rice, whether it was white or brown and tons of vegetables. And even if they used oil, it was minimal. That was their bulk. And then the condiment, the meat was the condiment. The oil was the condiment. Now the oil and the meat is the mainstay and the vegetable in the starch is the condiment, if it even appears at all. 